Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Notable. Here we go then. Should I just pick it up? Should I start? Do you want to start, Elizabeth? Yeah, go on. You start. And only because I've got to go and get me chips in a bit. Is that fine or that? Great. Welcome again to Notable Show 4, Series 2. Hello. Yes, Series 2. Lots of debate, still raging. Raging. Over that on Twitter. <laughs> season. Series all, all season. At Notable Pod. Just to give our social media a little bit of a plug. Absolutely, plug it away. We need to. Yeah. We need to do that. We need to say thank you. If to... we don't plug it, then who will? Frankly, well, there is that, and also we should thank the people who are getting in touch with us on social media. We're at Notable Pod, and we're on Instagram. And obviously, it goes without saying: like us, subscribe us, retweet, tell your friends that this is the yeah. podcast for anybody who's interested in fascinating stories and great music. Absolutely. Music from all eras mm. and all genres. That's what we do. As today's episode is proof, Stuart. It is indeed. We've got some trad jazz from Elizabeth in a moment. Well, trad jazz is not really fair, is it? It's the, the godfather yeah. in, in many ways of a whole generation of British music. Yeah, yeah. Ken Collier. Ken Collier. We'll that in a moment. And I'm going to kick off by telling you about the strangest hit single ever which many of you will know, many of you will love, some of you might hate, actually. It polarises people and has been polarising people for 40 years because it's just celebrated its 40th birthday and been reissued on vinyl and stuff. The, the parent album has, anyway. And, of course, I'm talking about Oh, Superman by Laurie Anderson. Are you a fan, Elizabeth? I am a huge fan. I love her. And she's such a gentle soul, yeah. isn't she? Yeah. She's beautiful. I've, I've interviewed her a couple of times. Mm. She's a big dog lover, mm-hmm. so instantly we got on. She yeah. did. She's done a concert for dogs. She has. And she was married to Lou Reed. She was married to Lou Reed, <laughs> I know. Imagine I that. Know. I know. So all respect to the woman, frankly. Who put the bins out, do you think? Uh, in the, in the <laughs> I Anderson... I don't think they lived... Did they live in the same house? I'm not sure, I'm not sure I'm they not actually sure did. They did. Let, I mean, let's not speculate too, sure. <laughs> too wildly over that, but... Um, she's 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 gorgeous, isn't she? She and, is, and wonderful. And she starts off life as a performance artist in that very fertile sort of New York downtown loft art scene from which came a little before, from which came Philip Glass and Steve Reich and people like that. Lots yeah. of dancers, lots of theatre people. One of my favourite things that she did, she used to fall asleep in public places, yes, and then record her dreams. And there's photographs of her asleep in these, you know, yeah in the colonnade yeah. civic buildings or whatever it is so yeah i love that idea well the big piece that made her name in the early 1980s is this seven hour multimedia project called united states one to five it was the hot ticket on that scene and in this she would stand on blocks of ice and she would play the violin made of tape 
audio tape and all these kinds of things lots of visuals very much of its time performance art brilliant brilliantly received a hot ticket one segment was a song a piece called oh superman inspired by uh, events in 1979 the abortive mission well it was actually the iranian students stormed the u.s embassy in tehran and there was an abortive attempt to to get people out of there and uh, a helicopter and a plane crashed in the desert and uh, she wanted to write about this about technology and warfare and how it um, resonated and coincided then. And a couple of weeks... Unlikely subject matter for a pop hit. <laughs> it, well, ab- absolutely. Everything about this is unlikely, including its source it material, because she said that she'd heard just a little before uh, an aria called El Cid by Massenet, the French composer yeah. Massenet, which is why, if you look, the full, the full title of O Superman is O Superman, brackets, for Massenet. And there's a song in there that she'd heard sung by an African-American tenor called Oh Sovereign. It's a prayer, isn't it? It's a prayer, yeah. It's a prayer to authority, which is a really sinister idea, Mm. isn't it? Yeah, I guess like a one-sided conversation or a rant at God or whatever. Yeah, but Oh Sovereign, you know, Oh Master, all this. This is the idea of the the song that it's it's a sort of song of supplication to authority. And it, and it felt sinister. So she did the same thing and updated it. So you get, um, oh, Superman, oh, Judge, oh, Mom and Dad. She's conflating power, authority, the family. Hold me in your long arms, your petrochemical arms, your military arms. And she throws in even a bit of the uh, rather lovely, I always think, sort of supposed slogan of the United States Post Office. You know that bit? Neither snow nor yeah. rain nor gloom of night shall stay these couriers from the swift completion which, of their appointed rounds. Yeah, which is originally a description of the horseback couriers of Imperial Persia. Wow. Which is the Iranian connection. Wow. So this is, if you like, a banger from this seven-hour thing. This is one of the ones that get people excited, you know, and it's got this looped ha, 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 ha on a, on a vocosa. Is it spoken word? People debate this, don't they? Um, I was reading in the Financial Times before they were, you know, they were talking you were. about Spratgazang. <laughs> I, I, just, I cas- just casually stumbled across this piece about O Superman in the Financial Times. But they were talking about Spratgazang, yeah. which is, you know, that that kind of um, German yes. style of singing that spoke. It means spoken and it's sung. A yeah, big comeback with a lot of terrible indie bands who sound like third-rate versions yeah. of the Fall trying to do it. Yeah, it's making a comeback. Yeah, Marky Smith was very Spratgazang, wasn't he? Very. But they were saying it was more Sprek than Gazang. I don't think it is. I think there's a good bit of Gazang in there. The Oh Superman is is definitely sung, isn't it? It's lyrical. Um, It's lyrical. I mean, there is some Sprecht in there, but there's a lot of Gazang. Yeah, I've seen it listed as one of the, you know, in the sort of top 10 or top 100 spoken word tracks as well. Well, this... There's another debate to rage on our social yes. media. Well, you absolutely. <laughs> rage away. Is it Sprecht or Gazang? So this dude called Bob George has got involved with the project. Uh, he's put out some of Laurie Anderson's work on compilations before, and he's the co-director of uh, United States. And he says, that's a single, which is crazy. He says, that's a single, I think. And he urges her to put it out as a single. Gets a grant for $500 from the National Endowment, which is kind of an arts thing in the States. They record it in her hallway because it's the quietest place they can find. And he said, I suggested she slow it down so that if it gets played on the radio, it got more in royalties. Now, I think that might be a bit of a fib. But um, anyway, Laurie... So, what, so 
he asked us to slow it down. Yes. Like, what? It was too quick. It was too quick because it's really long, isn't it? It, it is. Is it eight minutes long or something like that? I'm not entirely sure of how much of Bob's testimony is. I'm, I'm, he's on the money. So, but I know what I. We, but I. You do. don't want him as you are an you're an A and R man, no, do you? No. Laurie, <laughs> slow down this slow eight it down. minute record. It's not, it's not long enough. Yeah. <laughs> so Laurie says, like you know, she's from this performance out well. She says, I've no interest in pop, but I got convinced to put it out as a single mail order. They press up a thousand copies and they in individually rap and post each one and one of them finds its way to John Peel in London who loves it and starts to yeah. play it and it takes off here he pays it backwards <laughs> or at the wrong speed as well. well probably no I think he actually managed to get this one right yeah um suddenly there's a furore about this amazing track on Peel uh, the British distribution company said can you get us 80,000 copies of this such is the demand so they have to Crazy. go for professional distribution Warner Brothers who had already been interested in her, they say... They've we, been going to her shows, haven't they? Yeah, and they said, because they know she can't do this at home now, 80,000 copies, they say, uh, we will do you the 80,000 copies and in return, we'll give you an eight-album deal. Like, for a performance artist, this is extraordinary. It is, yeah. Peel yeah. plays it, it takes off, it starts to climb the charts. And she says, it was absurd, it was unreal, I was kind of in the art world, but I realised that because... She said, I'd always had money as a kid. I grew up in a family with money, and I knew it didn't make you happier, it didn't make you smarter, and it didn't make you freer. In fact, it often did the opposite of these things. But no one, I don't think she would deny that she is now an established world artist with her foot in several camps because of O Superman and the brilliant yeah. parents' album, Big Science, we should say, which is fabulous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people found her other more obscure work, didn't they? Exactly. Through- and that, so. it didn't get to number one. It got to number two, didn't it? <laughs> I remember at the time, because I loved it, thinking, has it been, has the man stopped it from getting to number one like he did with the Sex Pistols? Because it's too weird. And I don't think that's the case. I think records sold a lot then. And the one that, this is, well, this is strange as well, though. The thing that stopped it getting to number one is also one of the weirdest hit singles ever. It's It's My Party, the cover of It's My Party. Yeah. By Dave Stewart and Barbara Gaskin, who themselves weren't pop people at all. They come from the very niche bit of English progressive rock, the Canterbury scene. I don't know if you're familiar with bands like yeah, yeah, yeah. Hatfield in the North and soft National Machine. Health and Soft Machine and Henry Cow yeah. and those people. Yeah, They're absolutely. from that world. They're absolutely from yeah. that world of mildly political, definitely strange English, very English progressive rock. They did a pop cover of Leslie Gore's It's My Party and that got to number one. And that kept O Superman off, which is really strange. And she said, my friends in the art world said to me, uh, you're selling out, you're selling out. But later, she said, people started to use the term crossing over. And she didn't perform the song live for a long time, until 9-11. And suddenly, she said, it got a whole new resonance again. The planes, here come the planes. They're American planes, not American. Well, they are American planes, but not piloted by Americans. Which strangely is when it was twenty years old, isn't it? That's that's right. Years ago, that is isn't very it? true. Yeah, two thousand and one, and yeah. and people said it because it's, it's it's a year older than I am. Right. Okay. But yes, and it suddenly got a hold. She began to perform it again live because it had this new resonance. And she said, "We're in the same war, and our planes are still crashing." Which essentially it was. It's still about the U.S. involvement in the Middle East and oil and yeah. things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, happy birthday to the strangest hit single ever, Oh Superman by Laurie Anderson. But... Why do you think... Oh. Why do you think it was so popular? I think it's just, it is so unlikely. I, and like you say, you know, even for, for it to be kept off 
number one by it's what was happening at the time you know that those two were, songs were number one and number two and I don't know if there's anything particularly to do with the time I just think Oh Superman is one of those 81. records I'm sure some of the people who bought it almost bought it as like they buy a novelty record I think there was sheer novelty okay. involved but because, you know it's so long it's so weird you know but like tubular bells it's a little bit like that isn't it I suppose it's a more challenging listen than tubular bells I suppose in some Probably, ways isn't it but it, yeah. it is just one of those records that gets under your skin I remember at the time it coming out and me thinking this is just brilliant and I know although people would kind of make fun of it in some ways and a lot of people hate it a lot of people who wouldn't normally like avant-garde music would just suck it in by it it is the repetitive nature of it, the lyrical nature of it, and it's got such a brilliant vibe, hasn't it? That the melancholy and eeriness of it. Yeah, hypnotic. Hypnotic is absolutely yeah. right. Um, we can't play O Superman for copyright reasons, but we're now Elizabeth and I are going to do vocally all eight minutes and twenty-one seconds of it. You ready, Elizabeth? Should we stop? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was getting into it. Though. I know I could chat. It's, it's, it's trans-like. <laughs> Actually, the opening of the matinee is very similar in mood and tone, right. possibly even key signature, right. I was thinking, okay. when I, I was listening to it before. Right. And I was thinking, yeah, I can, kind of, I can hear that. Correct. They'd sound nice together on the radio, Correct. I think. I don't know what station will play that. It leads us to a notable exception. Every week on the show, we have a notable exception. Which is always music to our ears, isn't it? Because we always we always forget. <laughs> we always forget to do. We this. always forget, and then after. And then Jeff gets very annoyed with us. That's right. And before you get to hear this, dear listener, we've had to think of a notable exception. But I thought of one in advance today. Usually, just before we record, so it's scrabbling around. By our standards, this is absolute <laughs> preparation because notable exception. <laughs> Although I don't even know what it is yet, to be fair. Go on, Stuart. <laughs> OK. Well, the pop documentaries on BBC Four on a Friday night and all those shows always will say, Oh, Superman by Laurie Anderson got to number one, or got to number two, I beg your pardon, because of John Peel and his championing, and it was only played on late-night radio. It's the only single ever to be a hit with never getting played on daytime radio. And apparently that's not true. A guy called John Kuttner... I've been, when I was researching this, says in the summer of 81, he was working on the Radio 1 Roadshow in Cornwall with Tony Blackburn. They've been in St. Austell. They have a few drinks in the bar. I've been on Radio 1 Roadshows. I know what goes on. But he goes to bed for a Radio 1 Roadshow, I think, quite early, about 11 o'clock. Puts the radio on in his bedroom. Hears John Peel playing Oh Superman. Loves it. Gets back to London. Goes to Peel's office and says, I heard that track you played. It was amazing. And he says... It's come from this independent PR guy called Scott Peering, who also did The Smiths at the time. And um, he gets hold of a copy of it, John Kuttner, takes it to Simon Bates, who he produces, and says to Bates, look, it's a long record, but what do you think of it? And he says, he remembers, Simon Bates played it once, maybe in the maybe just after the golden hour or just after our tune. And Bates himself said, it, it seems to go on forever, mate, but I like it. <laughs> And so it did get played one, at least once uh, wow, for the okay. purposes of our notable exception, we're saying once. And John Cutner also says, did you know that that ha, 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 there are 1,246 ha, ha, on the song? He knows because he had to count them for a Radio 1 competition. Really? <laughs> so there you go. It's the strangest, the strangest hit single ever, but it did get played on daytime radio. Cracking notable exception, that... 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, I'm going to tell you about Ken Collier, Stuart. Are you into historic moments? Totally. Who isn't? I live for them. So, uh, October 1949, a corrugated iron hut round the side of the White Hart pub in Bath Road, Cranford. Kind of ramshackle jazz band led by a man called Con- Ken Collier. Uh, introduced a handful of curious fans. There's always only a few people in the room at these occasions, isn't there? Yeah. Curious fans, handful of them, and they're hearing this new kind of music. It's primitive. It's raw. The band had devised it themselves. It was called Skiffle. Right. And it was going to change the whole course of popular music forever. Okay. So the story of Ken Collier's life and career is kind of completely woven together with the story of, of this musical form, Skiffle, and how it began, how it developed. Uh, he was born in Great Yarmouth in 1928, raised in London, by all accounts, pretty poverty-stricken, mm-hmm. um, dismal upbringing. He called the flat where he was raised. It was on Fitzroy Square, so it certainly wouldn't be called this now. He called it bug-ridden flats. Right. A lot of sadness as well. His sister Daphne died quite young. She fell down some stairs and had diphtheria and this sort of thing. So very sort of run-down part of London, a lot of poverty in his childhood. He had an older brother called Bill, who went off to fight in the Second World War. Uh, Ken was left at home with Bill's collection of jazz records. I'm, as an oldest child, mm. and maybe you feel like this as, as an only mm-hmm. child, I'm always so jealous of people who had older siblings that introduced them to music, because I just never had that. So I always felt a little bit behind. Did you? As a teenager, for sure, yeah. All my friends who had older siblings would always get things first. And I would always inherit it through them and be on a bit of a back foot. Anyway, so Ken Collier had an older brother, Bill. Um, Just as an aside, jazz was pretty popular in the UK after the First World War. American soldiers had brought it over to Europe um, during the First World War, early forms of jazz. Interestingly, elsewhere in Europe, places like France, they, there was quite a lot of snobbery towards American art forms and it didn't quite take off like it did here in, in the UK. Right. So uh, jazz was big in London in, in the 30s. Uh, Melody Maker were big enthusiasts. It was, yeah. Which I love to think that, you know, that they were like trying to get hold of like the first jazz records, yeah. you know, considering what they became. Jazz bands on the BBC at that time. Louis Armstrong played residencies in London and Glasgow, actually, in the 30s. Duke Ellington also came here between the wars. So jazz was like very much, you know, the thing that everybody, that the kids were listening Mm -hmm. to. So Ken Collier is at home, um, teenage Ken, his brother's away fighting in the Second World War. He really gets into this music. He starts to learn the cornets, first of all. Okay. 
dreams of one day going to New Orleans, which is very much the home of Dixieland jazz, which is the style of jazz yeah. that was popular and the corn, at the time. it was Big Spiderbeck's, Big Spiderbeck's instrument, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Dixieland, it's, it's kind of a mix of blues, ragtime, also funeral marching bands yeah. or, or funeral processions. Ken not only dreams of going to New Orleans, he actually goes there. So as soon as he's old enough, he joins the Merchant Navy and he gets himself to America. Apparently, he drove everybody crazy practicing, by this point, the trumpet. He managed to get, he moved on from the cornet to the trumpet um, on board ship. I think, like, he didn't have any friends in the Merchant Navy because I suppose it takes weeks to sail to America, doesn't it? Yeah. Everyone gets scurvy and seasickness. It's a couple of weeks, isn't it? Is it two weeks? There's like icebergs and monsters everywhere, and then there's no monsters. Can we just go back a little there? (laughs) When Elizabeth says there's monsters there, there aren't. So don't let that put you off travelling. When lockdown (laughs) eases, don't let that put you off travelling to America. Maybe on 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 board ship. I don't know if I fancy getting a boat to America. Right, I'd love it, but I don't think I'd want someone playing the trumpet twenty four seven the whole time. Exactly, just like so. Yeah. So um. So he doesn't get to New Orleans the first time. He spends some time in New York instead. He goes to all the jazz clubs there. He hears music by the big players at the time. Um, Wild Bill Davidson was, was, a, was a particular favourite. Pee Wee Russell, Austin oh, yeah. Peterson. Yeah. So Ken Collier has a crazy time in New York. He realises he doesn't want to be in the Merchant Navy and just visit these places and kind of, you know, be into jazz as a hobby. He actually wants it to become his life. So he comes back to the UK. He forms a jazz band. They were actually quite successful. They were called the Crane River Jazz Band. Yeah. They performed at the Royal Festival Hall in 1951 for the Queen. They supported Big Bill Brunsey. Yeah, brilliant in guitarist. In London as well. Yeah. But this, all this wasn't, even, you know, wasn't enough to satisfy his ambition. He was, I don't know, he just takes kind of authenticity to a whole new level. He didn't just want the success, even though this band were doing really well. He kind of leaves the band, decides he still needs to go to the source of this music, this music that he loves, this Dixieland jazz, mm-hmm. and he wants to go back to New Orleans. I, last year, went to Tennessee, mm-hmm. and it's actually really hard even now getting to those southern states. Um, I mean, I went with Sinead Garver, mm-hmm. and we didn't really check our flight times very well. Yeah. It took us 24 hours. So are you saying it's, it's missed... literally difficult to get to them with, by, in planes? Well, it's still difficult. Even now, yeah, 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 yeah. It's quite hard. Well, yeah, we flew from London and you've got to change and, you know, the flights are really long and really expensive. There's not that, you know, it's, right. it's actually still quite hard. Okay. It's yeah. just it's just a mission. Okay. Um, so then it must have been even harder. Anyway, he rejoins the Merchant Navy and he wants to get back to America. He jumps ship probably to the relief of his shipmates. Yes. His trumpet skeptic shipmates. Yeah. Uh, he jumps ship at Alabama and he gets a one-way ticket to New Orleans and he goes there and he does meet all the greats at this time. People like George Lewis and Percy Humphrey, they were sort of the big players in New Orleans at this time. He spends time with them playing. He, you know, he gets some big tours with these big names, really hones his craft. His visa expires on Christmas Day, unfortunately, right. so he can't go and get it um, renewed because obviously everything's closed. Mm. And then by the time he's able to get to the office to renew his visa, he's already outstayed his welcome. He ends up in prison and he's deported. He always maintained that he was deported because he'd been performing alongside black musicians, which at the time was still frowned upon, really sadly. Even though, you know, we're in the early 50s now in the States, Mm. but he thinks that's why they, you know, they made the kind of harsh decision to send him back. So uh, he's back on ship. He comes back to London 
During this whole time, his brother had been sending letters to Melody Maker, kind of updating the Melody Maker on his progress in New Orleans. Right. So he arrives back a bit of a hero yeah. of the jazz scene. He's met in London by his brother, Bill, and uh, Chris Barber. Who's another big name here, yeah. He is. And, you know, I didn't realise he passed away in March this year. He did. He was 90 years old. Mm. I interviewed him once, and he he was lovely. We, in fact, I made a programme about this with Billy Bragg mm-hmm. about 13 mm. years ago. And we met Chris Barber in the 100 Club uh, in, in, in the West End. Uh, there's a plaque there to Ken Collier. Yeah. It says, Ken Collier, he knew. And Chris Barber was kind of telling us, you know, the whole story of, of the band from this point onwards. So Chris Barber played trombone. He would go on to be hugely influential, actually, in bringing over blues musicians in the early 60s. Yeah. Muddy Waters he brought over t- to the UK. So ended up inspiring people like the Rolling Stones. Um, also in this band, Monty Sunshine played clarinet, Ron Bowden played drums, and Tony Donegan, later to become Lonnie, yeah. was on banjo. Uh, Jim Bray played bass. Ken's the leader, and they start to do this. They start to gig and play this very kind of authentic at this point now version of New Orleans Dixieland jazz that Ken has like become a master in and brought back to the UK. So this is like this is between forty nine and fifty two. So like he wasn't actually in New Orleans for that long. So the Crane River Jazz Band they perform at the Royal Festival Hall in nineteen fifty one. They support Big Bill Brunsey in London the year after. Then he disbands that band. He goes to New Orleans. He comes back probably around 52, 53 mm-hmm. at this point, and forms this new band, the Ken Collier Band with Chris Barber and Tony Donegan. So what would happen at these concerts is that during the interval, they were playing this, as I say, very authentic Dixieland jazz, but during the interval, they would have these kind of, they were actually called breakdown yeah. sessions or jams, you know, between the first and second half. And um, it was a chance for them to just, they were big sort of blues and yeah. folk fans as well as, as jazz fans. Yeah. And it was a chance for them to indulge that. Um, and they would start to play these folk records and these blues records really sped up and uh, in quite a visceral way. Eventually, Bill Collier joined them on Washboard and this new kind of style emerged. They didn't know what to call the music. Bill actually came up with the name Skiffle. Yeah. Um, which is now very famous, and, these, uh, and it became hugely popular with the audiences, didn't it? These it these, did, these interval yeah. sessions, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, Skiffle came from uh, a band called Dan Burley and the Skiffle Boys, okay. Who were doing who were doing a similar kind of fast paced blues, but it wasn't the same. It didn't have these kind of makeshift mm-hmm. instruments that that Skiffle became famous for. And like you say, yeah, it kind of took over in popularity. It took over the New Orleans jazz that people had originally come to see. It was just a bit more fun. Billy Bragg calls it the first ever punk. Well, it is. It's kind of Very homemade DIY. instruments and yeah, primitive sound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, T-chess bass became part of it. The banjo was part of it. This washboard. So it was easy to, to play yeah. and easy to manufacture. And pretty raucous yeah. as well. So appealed to young people. Uh, and it became hugely influential, yeah. which we'll come up on to in just a moment. Uh, for one reason or another, Ken Collier um, and the band in this incarnation, it didn't last for long, just about a year. They split up. Lonnie Donegan and Chris Barber went their own way, still playing this mix of uh, at their shows of sort of Dixieland jazz and skiffle. In 1954, they make their first record. And on this record was Rock Island Line. Mm-hmm. And I think after that, the rest, a lot of our listeners will know, is well-trodden history. Well, it's the, uh, it's the roots of British rock, isn't it? And British it pop. is. That record was just so seismic yeah. in its impact, wasn't it? A huge hit for Lonnie Donegan. Um, it's actually a skiffle version, a sped-up version of a Lead Belly song, 
he never credited Lead Belly right. and was well, criticised for it throughout his God, life. There's a lot of that about, wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah. So you've got all these kids. I mean, we mentioned it in the Scarborough Fair episode. Yeah, yeah. Martin Carthy was inspired to pick up a guitar after hearing Rock Island Line and form a skiffle band and then went on to be at the forefront of the British folk revival. Well, everybody, ev- pretty much everybody of that generation is inspired it, to pick yeah. up a guitar by Skiffle. There's a famous piece of footage that you can see that Hugh, Hugh Weldon on the arts programme, Monitor, I think, where he's got two young schoolboys on there. Tell me all about this Skiffle that you play and they've got their guitars and one of them is Jimmy Page. Absolutely. Who says he isn't going to go into music, he's going to go into science, but he still loves Skiffle, yeah. Oh, so you've got, yeah, people like Jimmy Page, people like Martin Carthy. Chris Barber ran with the blues enthusiasm. He ended up being a big influence on the Rolling Stones. And then there was someone in Liverpool who was also hugely impacted by Lonnie and this track, who would one day go on to play, you could say, a moderate part in the development of music from that point on, John Lennon. Mm -hmm. So he was in a a skiffle band called The Quarrymen. There are these two brilliant photographs. Um, I met some of the members of The of the quarrymen who who never um, went on with Lennon and McCartney to, to be in the Beatles. But he sh- they showed me these brilliant photographs of the quarrymen, one from 1958 and one from 1960. And in the one in 1958, they're all kind of, there's quite a few of them in the band. They're all a bit ramshackle, kitted out in kind of just normal clothes and denim. And then by 1960, I guess it was the influence of Elvis as well, wasn't it? They have, you know, these sort of sharper jackets and more sophisticated guitars and haircuts, and they're looking a lot more like a rock and roll act. But if you look at the, if you look at that picture, the famous picture at the Walton Village Fete where Lennon and McCartney meet, and Lennon's on stage in the Quarrymen, they're skiffle, yeah. aren't they? They're total skiffle. They get yeah, up yeah, the yeah. check shirts and the je- the rolled up jeans and everything. They're total Absolutely. skiffle. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what they were. Um, they were Johnny and the Moon Dogs between they were. the Quarrymen. And the Beatles. They were. But by 1960, they were the Beatles. Um, And, well, you could say it was all down to... to... So so you're saying no Ken Collier, no Skiffle, no British rock and roll, no Beatles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's hear it for Ken. Yeah. And like I say, at the 100 Club, there's this lovely plaque. The 100 Club was where all those rock and roll bands from the Rolling Stones played there, didn't they? Yeah. It was an important place for for bands like The Who as well. They all played there. And there's this lovely plaque on the wall that says, Ken Collier, he knew. Ah, and now this podcast is a kind of audio plaque to Ken. Yeah. (laughs) As for Ken, he carried on playing and releasing the music he loved. Um, He had ill health. He had stomach cancer. He died when he was only 59 years old in 1988. But obviously saw all this happen. I wonder what, what he made of it. Yeah. Well, the strangest hit single ever and Ken Collier unsung mm. father of British rock British, but we've British sung him girl. we've sung him now there could have been no Lonnie Donegan no. without Ken Collier well and and, and um, as I said no British rock and roll really because of that yeah yeah if you've got a story you want us to investigate and retell a few of you have done this already and thank you and we will get round to them but please get in touch with us at Notable Pod and, yeah. and we will and we will investigate it if you've had an easy time getting to Tennessee then yeah. Feel free. How difficult is it to, to get to New Orleans? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, I was travelling with my friend Sinead Garvan yeah. and, you know, we'd, tr- we'd struggle getting from here yeah. to Liverpool. Also, probably, the difficulty so. getting to America, of course, is there are monsters, apparently, in the Atlantic who make, who make transport <laughs> difficult as well. well. And people playing the trumpet the whole time, which is really annoying. Well, I don't know what time it is, listeners, when you listen to this podcast, but here it's early evening and there's a big glass of wine with my name on it. So you've got to go. I'm going to bring proceedings, festivities to a halt. We'll be back very soon with another notable. We will. 
Lovely. Notable. The podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.